Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we have a special guest in the studio, in the Affable Chat studio with me, uh, is our good friend of the podcast, Scott Miller. Welcome back, Scott. Thanks. It's good to be here. Scott has been on a few of our episodes, uh, including our episode about Solo. Uh, so he's our resident uh, you know, commentator on Star Wars, uh, which is perfect because today we're discussing Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. This is an action, fantasy, sci-fi adventure Star Wars movie. Directed by J.J. Abrams. The cast includes Ray Ray, Moses from Attack the Block, Lewin Davis, Adam Flyer, a bunch of old dudes, and one dead lady, and of course, Indiana Jones. I watched this movie in a movie theater. How did you watch it, Joey? I also watched it in two different crowded movie theaters. And you, Scott? And a movie theater as well. Yeah, I didn't see this one on opening night like I usually do for Star Wars. I actually waited like the weekend after and saw it at 10.30 in the morning in a mostly empty theater. Oh, right. Nice. That's nice. I saw it at 10 a.m. as well. Yeah? Uh, really? And yeah, it's really kind of a fun experience. Yeah. Because you come out and you have a whole day left. That's right, especially because this movie was a tiny bit long, uh, not super long. It felt long. longer than it kind of was. It wasn't the, I mean, it's like two and a half hours, right? But there's been, there's been longer ones. I think the last one was longer, wasn't it? The runtime? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, after the 30 minutes of ads, this movie started oh to feel God. like it was like a three hour long experience. Um, but I just wanted to point out that unlike some of the previous Star Wars films, I didn't have to like beat the crowd or anything uh, to see this movie. In fact, I didn't even feel pressure to see it to avoid spoilers even. It just didn't have the same kind of like oomph, <laughs> for lack of better words, <laughs> that other Star Wars films brought with them, especially like, I mean, seven and, like episode seven and se episode eight. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I felt like this was more of an obligation than I was excited to see it. Like sure. I, had invest, I had invested in the last two, and so I wanted to see how it ended, but that was that was about it. And I feel like, I know we're going to get into it, but I feel like the differences between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson in the last two made it hard to know what this movie was going to be like. So I think people weren't as excited. Definitely, definitely. Um, all right, so Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker? The dead speak, quite literally. That's right. <laughs> Literally the first thing you read in the scroll text, so uh, really gets you started off right. Um, we'll get it started off with our pros, and we'll turn to our guest, Scott. Um, what did you like about this movie? Um, as a big Star Wars fan, I thought some of the most interesting pieces were how they used Star Wars elements. So I thought that they used the Force really interestingly, um, and there's, there's more to go into with that, but... Um, they brought a bunch of new force powers into the movie canon, which is really cool. Um, I also felt, and this is where we're going to start, I feel like there's going to be some contrast with everybody, but I felt like there was a lot better character development here than in Last Jedi, and I thought that despite what J.J. Abrams had to work with, he was able to pull the movie back together. Okay. Um, and I also thought like bringing the Emperor back was cool, because suddenly I had a character that I cared about who was a villain. Uh, where in the last couple movies we've been sort of short on characters to care about. Okay. Um, and then, and I'll talk about this more later, but um, I thought this movie had the best 
sort of encapsulation of how a character falls to the dark side of any other movie. We just didn't get to complete it because Ray had to finish her journey in a different way because we only had one movie left. But, right. Um, they, it has not been done well, but it's been tried a couple times, and this is the first time I felt like a character was actually going through something. So I really enjoyed it. I uh, will echo your sentiment on having like a meaningful villain. Uh, as much as it is kind of a like retcon to suddenly make Palpatine still alive and stuff, and we can get into that, he is a very important villain in Star Wars. Uh, so bringing him back, like you had to work with what you had, and I think that that was like a pretty good idea given the circumstances. Uh, but I also think uh, that there's some really good fan service in here. Like as much as you can shake your finger at fan service, this is the ninth movie in a beloved saga that has stretched so many decades. Uh, and I think that they capitalized that in uh, on that in a few effective ways. Also, I liked Babu Frick a lot. I came away from this movie <laughs> being like, that was a great new character great. Uh, that I'm glad I know about now. What about you, Joey? What'd you like? I yeah I agree with Scott with the force powers I would I was largely on board with I thought that was awesome um, I also really liked that they brought back Palpatine too I thought that was a pretty smart move considering that they killed their big bad that they had been building up in the last two movies in the last movie so that made sense to have him back um, and of course the guy what's his name who plays uh, the Emperor is just amazing he's so like he's so hammy he he really gets into the character. Um, and he's always, I mean, you couldn't really see his face that well because it was always lightning stuff, but you could always tell he's just like giving it so much and making it like this powerful evil guy that's just so easy to hate. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I thought the force moments between Ray and Kylo was done extremely well. Um, I really like the, the beginning, uh, where they bring all the characters together and it's like, he set that pace, um, with Kylo going to Exegol. Um, and I felt like the ending was, I, I really liked the ending when I first saw it, but as I watched my reviews and as, and I saw the second time, I felt like it kind of fell apart. But at first, that first glance, that ending was really good for me. Yeah. Much like I feel like any Star Wars film, the, you know, going and seeing it for the first time and kind of being part of the spectacle was still fun. That, that part still holds true. Um, but I feel the same way kind of, if you stare at it too long you start realizing the cracks uh, which is why we'll now turn to our cons uh, and Scott why don't you say uh, tell us what you didn't like about this movie my first con is that the last Jedi existed at all and so JJ <laughs> Abrams <laughs> had to take two movies worth of good Star Wars material and push them into one movie to try to retcon everything that happened in the last Jedi um, I also and, and I know we gave a thumbs up to fan service I also found the fan service stuff uh, maybe a little bit over the top, but I enjoyed it as a big fan. I just anticipate people might not like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is uh, near the end of the movie, we have two characters that we've grown to know <laughs> who are not romantically linked at all, who decide to have like a cinematic kiss just for the sake of it. And uh, <laughs> um, I can't, I, I almost got up and left. <laughs> I like looked around at the four other people at the 10 a.m. showing of the movie and was wondering if anyone else was as mad as I was. But, <laughs> That's amazing. Um, those are mine. Okay, I, I'm with you though on um, the the fan service. I I also had as a pro. Gotta also have it as a con because it, there's definitely some times that I just groaned and rolled my eyes at some of the fan service in this movie. Um, 
And the retcons. I mean, this might be my go-to example for like an example of retcons from now on. Because a lot of people are going to see this. And it's like there is some blatant retconning uh, in this. And what we'll obviously get into that. Also, inconsistencies. Like we said, if you stare at this movie too long, you start to realize there's some major problems. Especially if you think about it in the context of the, the, the entire saga. Not just this movie, but this trilogy. And also the six movies that precede this trilogy. There's a lot of things where... You you suddenly realize events were not important at all that seemingly were important before this uh, and certain things that were set up never come to fruition and make you wonder why we spent so much time on them at all anyways uh, also this kind of goes with that but I feel like this movie shines a light on how poorly planned this trilogy was when they took Star Wars and Disney got Star Wars and they're like, we're gonna make more. A lot of people were worried uh, that they weren't going to, that they were just gonna be going for a cash grab and potentially not actually telling a compelling story. They just knew people would show up for Star Wars. And now that we have all three of them, we can finally have that debate and decide if Disney had a plan or if they just knew Star Wars was gonna be a good business choice for them. Joey, what, what about you? Yeah, what are your I, cons? I 100% agree. I actually liked the kiss. I felt like there was a lot. I know Scott doesn't like <laughs> the Last Jedi, uh, but I felt like there was a lot of romantic tension from that movie between Rey and Kylo, which was not which was not in this movie really. When I was watching it again, it, it that evaporated. So, uh, in the terms of just this movie, it doesn't. It's not earned. But in terms of the last two movies, I feel like it is. And I definitely, when they, right before they kissed, I was like, kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> there, Raylo fair. is a thing. People were definitely shipping them. Uh, I was, so you no, could I was even on board. Put that under fan service as well. <laughs> sure. I, yeah, I was on board with that. Um, yeah, there was, there's honestly so many things to nitpick that I feel like you could easily get lost in the weeds in this movie. All the reviews that I've watched have been over an hour long. It's just ridiculous how much stuff people have already like deemed to be stupid um there's a lot of there's kind of poor plotting uh of course retreading over the last movie um and i feel like this movie is really like really hammers home that this this uh the sequel trilogy is too reliant on the original trilogy to give an emotional impact um it's using elements from the first trilogy to uh build up or stand on the shoulders of this one without ever trying to do anything new or unique uh, which I find frustrating. And of course, inconsistent. It's, it really brings you out of the movie sometimes when there's moments that don't line up. All right, so those are our pros and our cons. Now let's kind of dive into the overall review of this movie, and we'll start uh, with you, Scott. What are your overall feelings for uh, this last Star Wars movie? I, um, when I was thinking about this, uh, I just kind of reflected on how I felt walking out of the theater and for the first time in a very long time on Star Wars movies, I walked out and I just felt good. Um, I was interested in what was happening. I enjoyed the fact that if you were kind of a loyal Star Wars fan over all of the different forms of canon, so the cartoons and everything, movies and everything, the, even the video game that just came out, you were rewarded for all of that because they included characters that people liked in different ways. Um, and I felt like in a way that the last two movies didn't, we had a chance to see our characters kind of struggle, but also go through some level of training. There was some explanation for why Rey was as strong as she was. So suddenly the stakes felt more real because she wasn't just like the heroine that we all wanted. So she never was going to have any trouble. She suddenly had a bunch of trouble, struggles. She dealt with some internal stuff and external difficulties. 
and also um it, it gave us some reason to to hope for her that she could be successful um i just felt like the stakes were really real and and that there were good meaningful characters in this movie um, in a way that we had not had in the last two probably and i think joey you said this fair in the cons just because of how um how reliant they had been in the last two movies or at least in the first of this trilogy on mm-hmm. the older movies uh the original trilogy and then um just on on kind of the fact that when ryan johnson came in he made some decisions about who these characters were that jj didn't like so we were sort of forced to go through a tornado of who is who and what do the characters care about but i thought he did a decent job in this movie bringing everyone back so when i walked out of the theater i was happy and i felt satisfied and i wasn't like annoyed at some decision that was made so um as far as star wars movies go that was really good for me yeah i felt it definitely felt like a rescue mission for jj abrams uh and that is kind of it tinted my uh, reaction to this movie because there's a lot of things where it's like, where can you even go um, after episode eight? It's like to even be able to bring it back to something that is, uh, you know, watchable and, and kind of brings us to a somewhat satisfying conclusion, I think is an achievement. But there's also plenty in this movie that made me frustrated. Um, so, and I think maybe Joey would agree uh, with that. Yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't know like so much of my frustration with this movie is the fact that they couldn't take what Ryan Johnson did in the eighth movie and build on it more. Um, the only the really the only thing that they did that with was the the uh, force FaceTime, which is a term I'm stealing from Trihex, uh, between um, uh, Kylo and and Ray, uh, when they're like now they can interact like physically, which was awesome i thought that was really cool and like a great development in that uh, like force power uh, is that my my question whenever i see new force powers come up though is why did nobody else have access to that it so doesn't far. matter it's it's magic all right it's it, the less you explain the better the force is that's that's my philosophy on it yeah i see that's a valuable lesson the other I think thing we learned in episode one <laughs> the other thing that i missed the first time i watched it was um that kylo says like we are a dyad, a dyad in the force, meaning that they have a, some special connection, which allows them to do things that normally other people couldn't do. It's, a, right, it's apparently right. extremely rare. So it's like a, so that excuses some of it too. Okay, I, 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 I understand for, that as well, because the the healing thing definitely comes from that. that they, I definitely want to defend. I want to defend the healing thing actually, because I wanted to find the original quote, but in in uh, what's it called in um. The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Yoda talks about how the Force is like life, basically. The reason he's on Dagobah in the first place is because he's surrounded by life. He's in like a, a swamp and everything. And he says the Force is extremely strong here. So the Force has always been life energy, especially from the light side. So it really does make sense that healing is a thing. Also, we established pretty early on in this trilogy that Rey is more powerful than anyone else. She's like, she has a lot of raw energy. And so, and so her ability to heal things actually doesn't make sense if that's something that requires a lot of effort, which you see from Kylo Ren. You know, J.J. Uh, Abrams has the, had this problem in uh, the second Star Trek movie where he accidentally cured death. Um, so it became a real problem in the Star Trek universe, uh, at least for the fans. So in this one, he, he, he takes care of that by saying that 
you exhaust you can exhaust yourself to the point of death by healing someone from that point so when he when kylo heals ray at the end he dies giving consequence to this force action which i thought was good uh, that was well done i i i am 100 on board for force healing i agree with that because i think that and this movie does it really well i think the last movie actually the last jedi did it pretty well too that there's some uh physical cost to using the force where yeah if, in the original trilogy when yoda picks up the x-wing from the the uh, lake or whatever and luke's struggling and can't do it you get the sense that there shouldn't be a physical input and the fact that luke is struggling is because he hasn't recognized that it's it sort of has to flow through him but i think this movie and this trilogy in general sort of captured how expensive it is to do to use the force which explains away i think why a Jedi who has the force ever has to use a lightsaber at all or is ever doing anything but just throwing people around and the reason is because it is really exhausting and so I think you're right Joey that when we see Kylo who is in good health or at least alive like die because he's yeah. using all of his energy and and you get the sense from Rey that when she heals that snake thing underground that she's giving some of her life force so um I actually really liked that because it it explains some of the like mechanics without having to use the word uh, midichlorians or something yes <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know it makes it, it, it it's what you're saying before it, it adds stakes to this magic right and it, it gives you kind of a a framework to understand what it means to use the force that's something that i feel like the movies have never done a very good job at i feel like the um the Clone Wars series, the animated series, did a really good job at showing just how much effort certain force abilities did and really magnified people that had extraordinary force powers um, and showed just like how powerful they were simply through what they did. Yeah, if you're a fan of Mace Windu uh, and you haven't seen the Clone Wars cartoons, you're in for a treat. Like that is, <laughs> that is really some of the best, like, force user action you'll see in all of star wars so i really want to get into the meat of my my thoughts in this movie um i listened to a whole bunch of different reviews probably more than i've ever done for any other movie and predictably i think many people didn't like it but i think the thing that struck me the most was how focused on details everyone was every decision was called into question every little thing was nitpicked just kind of like we did with the force healing thing um, which I think is fair. I think the movie throws so much at you so fast that you're forced to engage with it at that level. Um, but I think the larger picture has been tossed aside in favor of, wasn't that knife thing just so dumb? <laughs> and why was Carrie Russell in this movie at all? Which I think is cathartic, but I, don't, I think it misses the larger picture. I think we could waste a whole hour or two hours just talking about things that we did or didn't like about the Listen, movie. Listen, the knife thing was so dumb, though. Um, <laughs> so like they don't get a pass just because it, we all know it's dumb. Um, but I, I think you're right. There's more to talk about. <laughs> I I want to. I really want to discuss this with Scott too because he he liked this movie. He liked the character development. I want to talk about Ray specifically because the the movie is in direct contrast to the Last Jedi, which I think is a telling mistake. Um, it reveals that Disney really had no plan from the beginning when they're making this trilogy. Um, either by an individual or by committee. I think they did the right thing by letting individuals guide the storytelling, but they did the wrong thing by not having one person or at least a group of people decide how the whole thing was supposed to turn out. You know, that letting, they, they, they were like, okay, now 
you know, JJ gets a verse. Now Ryan gets a verse. Now JJ gets a verse. Like, it, 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 they're going to contrast. And it, that kind of makes it an interesting conversation, but it also gives the fans whiplash. And there's not enough of a back and forth for that to really resolve in something meaningful or, or useful, I think. Um, I, the problem I have, the, big, the, big, the biggest problem I have is that this movie is not consistent with itself either. Like, what, what is this movie about? It's about a girl who is struggling to find her place in the universe. She has incredible power, but she doesn't know if she can control it to help herself and her friends. Um, throughout the movie, you see Rey struggle to con control her emotions. She gets frustrated and angry in the forest. She loses control and blows up Chewie's ship, or not Chewie's ship, excuse me. <laughs> um, and he, she straight up kills Kylo Ren in a fit of rage. But after attempting to isolate herself, Luke comes to her and asks her what she's afraid of. She says, myself. And it's honestly, um, uh, yeah, so, like, what, what does this mean? It's a, um, it's the same thing that Leia says to her, uh, uh, that Luke offers the same advice. Don't be afraid of who you are. What, what is that exactly? Like, obviously, at this point, we know that Rey is a Palpatine. And obviously, Star Wars is, at this point, kind of obsessed with bloodlines, which is kind of a uncomfortable thing for a series about fighting space Nazis uh, that they care so much about like where your family's from but beside that point um, bloodlines don't determine whether you're good or evil uh, we've seen that in Star Wars um, so who is she exactly and who is is she who she decides to be or is she who she was grown to be I guess like was she born to be evil uh, because she's Palpatine's granddaughter or is it because or is it or is it saying, don't be afraid of who you are, simply her trying to decide who she is. And so, you know, her decision at the end to say, uh, uh, I'm Rey Skywalker, means that she's kind of like taking that as both a title and um, embracing not like embracing her foster parents, I guess, in a way. I don't I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused by how that how that lines up. Because at the beginning of the movie, she's moving forward toward the dark side. Then she has this conversation with Luke, and then she decides not to. But then when she's facing the, the Emperor, she actually agrees with him. And is like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to join you um, and uh, you know, strike you down and then take all the Sith power or whatever. Well, then she doesn't do that, though. She was just pranking him so that she could teleport the Star <laughs> Wars sword to Rey or Kylo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't like. I don't know how to interpret that scene. Was she was she saying that sincerely, or was she just saying that to buy time? I think she was doing it as a trick. She was tricking like the okay. audience simultaneously as uh, she was tricking Palpatine. But my problem as a member of the audience is I never thought that Ray joining the dark side was ever a viable option. I didn't see anything from her that made led me to believe that she would join the dark side for any reason other than like like maybe just accidentally destroying her friends with her power. So that's what made that scene where she blew up the transport that Chewie was on it so powerful because all of a sudden it, it's very real, the cost of Rey not being able to contain her own power. Uh, and after killing a beloved character like Chewie, you could see somebody maybe reevaluating their life uh, similarly to the way that Kylo Ren reevaluated his life after he killed his father, saying like, okay, well, maybe I can't help it. Maybe I am just a me like meant to be on the dark side. Um, but 
they undid Chewie's death and nothing else really led me to believe that she had any sort of uh, conflict as to which side uh, she should be on. So when she said, yeah. you know what, I will join the dark side and strike you down and, and we'll become like the one true emperor empress of the Sith. I was like, no, you're never going to do that. That's not, that would make no sense at this point. Um, and of course she didn't do that. I felt like though right. that there actually were compelling beats towards her fall to the dark side now this is where i come off saying that the last jedi missed the chance because to mm -hmm. me what the last jedi was meant to do in ray's story was show her going through the struggle she went through in the first half of this movie but over a longer window of time mm -hmm. and allow also kylo to deal with the facts that we saw in the first movie um force awakens where he was trying to like he realized he couldn't do what he thought he wanted to do. He was struggling to be evil. And Ray was realizing that she had no control over what she was able to do and that her actions were leading to bad results. So in The Last Jedi, if I had been allowed to write that movie, we would have had this, <laughs> this like the dichotomy of those two characters come together. And we would have seen what I would have wanted, mm -hmm. but it's hard to sell toys for that, right. is for Ray to have made a legitimate fall to the dark side in the second movie in the last jedi yes in that you know in that last sequence i know we're not talking about that movie but in the last sequence when they're in um snoke's throne room we would have had a chance to have ray fall and maybe kylo has a change of heart or something happens um but i did think that ray went through something something that's definitely defined in the extended universe the stuff that was removed by disney from canon in star wars yes. but not so clearly in the movies is that being in the dark side is not a decision to be mean to other people right it's like a force induced change in who you are so the one way that you avoid that from canon is to sort of remain balanced and not ever really tempt yourself with with bad things which we see in kind mm. of across the world in different mythos of all sorts of people in the real world like that's an idea if you keep yourself separated from things that cause you to do bad things then you won't become a bad person um the other part is not kind of giving in to the temptations of the force and then you have to avoid isolating yourself um right what we watch ray do in the very beginning is she is training in the woods she is trying and failing to get in touch with what she believes she's supposed to be able to access, which is like the power of the Jedi. There are no other Jedi there, and there's nobody else to help her. She seems to doubt, but be willing to take Leia's advice as a trainer. But she calls out to the Jedi, and she gets no feedback. And because of that, and because of the way that she's connected with Kylo, and Kylo's sort of uh, uh, FaceTime that interrupts her meditation, she like lashes out in extreme anger. And once she does that, she loses track of uh, so she's fighting that like hovering bot robot. Yes. She loses track of where it is. She starts to slash at it. She can't handle it. She destroys it when she's just supposed to be training with it. It becomes clear that she doesn't have a good sense of how to control her anger and her frustration. She seems young. She seems immature. And she um, accidentally smashes um, R2D bot or uh, BB-8. <laughs> <laughs> but she does. She like yeah. the tree lands on top of him, and she obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't mean for her to do that. Yeah, which was a, which was supposed to be a small hint at how her actions or her lack of control is going to affect the people that she loves, right? Which is why like the fake out on Chewie is so stupid and totally takes away that emotional impact because that moment when they're all holding hands and saying like, oh, we miss Chewie so much or like we're so sad that he died was really powerful. And then for that to just be undercut by having him on the ship and then having another rescue on another you know ship 
you know thing was uh, I don't know just I, I agree because I wish not giving me a satisfying thing. I do wish that and I like Chewbacca but it, if we're going to say this is the end of the movies this would have been a good time yeah. for an important character to die because yes. it does give a huge amount of cost because what I saw in Rey accidentally using force lightning is and, and remind me is this after she found out about Rey Palpatine or is this before no I think this is before yeah. she used the she used the force light. She killed or not killed Chewie on the desert planet. Uh, and then in the next planet, she meets Kylo and he tells her that she's a Palpatine. So I think because what I know from canon is there's only two characters who ever used force lightning. And it was Palpatine himself and then Rey. Um, now Rey. So right. Wait, wait, Dooku. Dooku also used it, right? Does he really? Oh, yeah. oh shoot. Yeah, he does. Oh, no. but, but anyways, anyway. <laughs> My bad. Um, <laughs> Not important. What I, what I saw in that, though, was that there's a character who is trying to do good and is continuing to fail. And in this case, in that moment, she uses, she like grits her teeth, becomes incredibly angry. And once she becomes angry, she uses a force power she didn't know she had, which has been happening to her a lot because she didn't know she had the force at all. Right. In these right. three movies, she's sort of learning that. She uses a force power she didn't know she had. She kills somebody who matters to her. And then she chooses to like separate herself from everybody else. She then, for the rest of the next couple beats of the movie, she stops working with her teammates. She chooses to sort of go off on her own. She does all of these things, which what that says to me is she has, A, allowed herself to use force powers that she knows she shouldn't or believes she shouldn't. She has realized she has no control, and instead of pursuing some level of learning, she chose to isolate herself. So she was like perfectly primed to have made that fall. And like I said before, the fact that falling to the dark side in Star Wars is not just a decision. It's like a force-induced change of character. Sure. Something that's brought on by like poor management of your emotions. Something yeah. that you can um, accidentally fall into. Yeah, and I'm starting to see it now too. The the whole isolating yourself. Like when they got to the planet with the Death Star like wreckage on it, she just, without telling anybody, just takes the... Yeah, she Moana's it up. She Moana's it up, yes, exactly. Um, which is like dangerous and stuff. But yeah, she just does it because she's like she's going to get it done and she's kind of going on her own and um, yeah yeah well she's separating i really like that part where they're where the, they have the core group of characters and they're going on in this adventure together it felt contained it felt like it made sense and having ray like slowly peter off into her own adventure at the you know at the distress especially of finn it be becomes like this you kind of get the dynamic that's going on you understand that she's kind of facing her own journey her own struggle um in parallel to what's happening with the rest of the universe she's and since um, she's physically with i keep cutting you off joey i'm sorry since ahead, she's physically ahead. with her crew this movie unlike the last movie where she kind of went off on her own and was by herself in this movie she's physically with the crew but as the movie goes on she is it's it, at some point it's like she's not even there with them she doesn't want to talk to them she's not sharing with them and then she literally goes off and does her own thing and we have this big result while she's fighting on the death star ruins where she makes a decision to try to kill Kylo Ren out of anger with a red lightsaber. Like that was a that yes. was a moment. And that's where I look at Leia's sacrifice, where Leia it seems like all Leia's doing is distracting Kylo Ren. And and I don't feel confident enough to say that it's definitely true that she spoke to both of them at the same time. But there seems to be a reason why Kylo Ren's distracted, Ray chooses to kill him, and then Ray like suddenly realizes what happened and she has the ability all of a sudden to use a force power that she had sort of teased but didn't know she had to, to save his life, which I think was the moment that given more time and two movies, we could have gotten to there. But instead, we kind of had to have 
Like she had completed her fall, it looked like, in the same way that Anakin completed his fall. So to, to tie the parallel there, because Anakin in the third movie of the prequels chooses to kill Count Dooku when he should have spared him. Then Rey chooses to kill her, her enemy out of anger and impatience and because she isn't thinking it through, but then she has a chance to save him. So that, that was the first time I felt like it was kind of rushed her development as a character because all of a sudden from then on she was still struggling and she has the you know interaction with the emperor but she generally errs on the side of good but up until the point where she kills kylo i felt very compelled that she was gonna fall and i was ready for that and i thought it was engaging and yeah um yeah that would have been i mean i i wish they had gone more into ray and her thoughts you know i wish they had spent more time with her just like struggling internally they did uh, they did a little bit but it wasn't enough for me to actually like 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 benjamin said earlier not enough for me to actually believe that she might actually fall um when she's in that throne room with with um with palpatine i think we're supposed to think that she's going to actually choose the dark side but it doesn't doesn't like in order to save her friends similar to how anakin chooses to the dark side in order to save his wife right he, he wants to he doesn't want her to die he sees a vision of her dying um and so he chooses to be the dark side because he thinks that there's power there that might save her um and similarly she says the same thing i'm gonna save my friends by you know taking on this extra power that is being offered to me but um i again like it's kind of undercut by this idea that maybe she's just doing it to fake him out because she knows that kylo is there so I never there was never a moment of of real of realism where I was like, oh man, she's actually going to turn. Oh man, she's actually having to make a tough decision. Even like in the um uh the, the episode six where Luke has to make the decision between saving his father and killing the Emperor, right? Um and he's standing there and like he does and you know uh well, I guess it's the other way around, right? Uh Luke is on the floor being hit with force lightning and Darth Vader's standing there and he's like, what should I do? Should I save my son or should I let him die? Um, and he has to make that decision. And that, that moment sits with you, right? It just, it weighs, maybe it's only a minute long, but it's enough for you to really see the decision-making that's being made by this character. Um, where in, in this one, it's just, it's too fast. There's, there's not enough weight to it. There's not enough time spent with our main character and more time spent blowing up Star Destroyers. Yeah, and I, I feel like maybe if you, because um, it's been a minute since I've watched the eighth one, maybe if you look at the whole context a little closer, you can see that development of Ray towards the dark side. But as far as like the context of this movie, like it, it just didn't do a lot for me to progress her that way. Like when I saw her whip out the double-sided lightsaber, it's like, don't be afraid of who you are. I'm like, like, but by having you kind of like fight this dark side version of you, it's like, that's not who I am. This is who I am, and this is some other version. Right. You know, this is something like... I yeah, she's not. Yeah, evil Ray is not reaching out her hand, saying, "Become me." You know, like here's your here's your awesome lightsaber that I built for you um, as as your evil half. She's like, "Ah, uh, like I'm gonna kill you because um, I'm gonna kill the light side of myself, and then the only side will be set left was the dark side." I I don't know. It's like a well, that, so to, that. Well, it just felt to me like this movie kind of pulled their punches on things like that because they didn't want to make Rey um, like even risk her being irredeemable because if she had killed Chewie, then people would be like, 
but she killed Chewie. Like, I love <laughs> Chewie. How could she still be good after that? Um, I mean, another thing, it wasn't really her call necessarily, but like having C-3PO's memory erased, if she had had a more integral part of that where they were like, no, we can't let them erase. And she was like, no, I have to kill Palpatine. Like, we're doing this. And yeah, like, yeah, it yeah, actually yeah. had a cost. Again, that could have been more mounting evidence that maybe there's more to it. But like, they undo things so quickly. I mean, even killing Kylo Ren, I know she literally killed Kylo Ren and so, like simultaneously like saved Ben, uh, Ben Solo. But like, it's it just kind of feels like they are undoing things that initially made you gasp and be like, oh my gosh, the stakes are real. It's like actually not not really. Um, now we're just going to undo it instantly so that we can kind of have the best of both worlds. Uh, and I don't think they really achieve. If you were it. to build a drinking game around this around this movie, just take a drink every time a character dies and then comes back to life. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did, I did, I mean, I'm still happy that C3PO joined the dark side for like momentarily. <laughs> that was incredible. I actually really <laughs> like that part. Yeah, well, I was, obviously I love that part because Bob when, when they pulled out the part. knife, they're like, "We need someone to translate that." My first thought was, "Oh my god, is C three PO finally going to be useful?" And then he wasn't. <laughs> that was really great. He was good. C three PO was good in this movie. Um, like he, he's a character in star, like Star Wars refuses to like leave out of anything, and uh, I'm okay with that completely. He, I, I laughed many times at like especially when he became like the newer like the factory reset version of C three PO, and immediately they start barking orders like we gotta get out of here right now and he's like how dare you like, <laughs> we just <laughs> met yeah he, he's so in, indignant about how he's being treated uh so yeah that gotta give, give credit where credit is due c3po is still excellent still a shining gold example of why we love star wars <laughs> good comedic relief that's right yeah all right is there anything else to cover with um uh ray and uh, her fall to the dark side i think we've kind of exhausted it well, okay, one thing just while we were talking about Ray is who her parents were. Uh, this sure. is another, maybe this is a nitpick uh, if we want to get, I don't want to get stuck in the weeds, but they had set up this whole idea that Ray is, her, her parents were nobody. And this kind of shatters the, uh, the rule in Star Wars that you have to belong to a powerful bloodline to be a powerful force user. It was kind of this uh, egalitarian take on, on the force so that it's you, the viewer, or, you know, anybody, they have this message of anybody can become powerful within the force. Uh, it's not yes. just for the elite. Everyone can have this. And then they, by like a trick of words, they say that they were nobody. Because no, 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 they, no. You, know, you know what he does? From a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. An old Star Wars tradition. They chose to be nobody <laughs> because they were actually like basically some of the most important people in the galaxy, uh, which again, it's, it, it like just totally undoes things that we heard from before. And I'm like, okay, why do we even go with that angle? Now, Ray's parents like sold her and also sold like, her for drinking money but then sold her to save her right and also um like they totally like threw the first order off by saying that she's not on jakku <laughs> like that's what they said <laughs> and it's like that worked um because that's the only thing they show them saying as far as like getting and I, again for expediency and telling the story i guess that kind of makes sense i know it's a bit of a nitpick, but I do feel like I got jerked around with the whole her parents are nobody. And the end result is that actually you, if you want to be the most powerful, 
You just have to be the granddaughter of the most powerful and important person in Star Wars, which is Sheev Palpatine. Uh, and that's really what this movie taught us. If we taught, if it taught us anything, is that the entirety of the Star Wars, uh, Star Wars saga, all nine movies, have really been about this one man, Sheev Palpatine, <laughs> who is the real most important character in all of Star Wars. I think, um, first of all, I, I don't dislike the idea that we have one central villain, I, and I just think it was kind of sad that we skipped two movies where we didn't get a chance to know he was there. Right. Um, but I, I think it is too easy to give credit to this idea that it's okay, and she didn't have to have powerful parents, and everyone can be a Jedi and stuff. But when I look at that, you know, and Joey, you made the comment that since there was no continuity between the three stories, and it seemed like they hadn't storyboarded the whole trilogy out, um, what Ryan Johnson left at the end of that movie was, well, you have an important character who has absolutely no backstory and whose backstory is not relevant to the movie. You have a villain who's dead and, and you have, uh, you know, two central characters, one who's evil and one who's good. The evil guy is dealing with the fact that he's not very strong and the good person's dealing with the fact that she's too strong. So all, when I look at the way The Last Jedi ended, I could not have told you what story was left to be told. And so I feel like he kind of had to find a way to make a good character that people liked have a story that was relevant to the plot. Like, not having important parents isn't the only thing that matters about Rey. Like, if that had yes. been true, we would have found a story. But it was pretty clear in the way that The Force Awakens set it up that that was supposed to matter. And then Ryan Johnson was like, oh, there's a key, like an important beat to this trilogy. I'm just going to remove it altogether. <laughs> And I'm not going to put anything in the place. I'm literally going to just say it doesn't exist anymore. And that I think was just is a lot to ask of a director to come back and fix. I think you, I think that's totally fair. And I think in the light of this movie, with recency bias, like recency bias, like it's easy to think about all the mistakes that they made from this one. Uh, but it's hard. But you have to keep in mind that the Last Jedi did a lot of the same things that this movie did, where it took parts of force awakens and said hey remember this thing never mind like <laughs> screw that that's not right and this movie and um rise of skywalker does the same thing to last jedi so it's almost reciprocal um but it but still i i want to challenge these people who make these huge movies to write stories that fit together right like it to have that problem in the first place is ridiculous, especially when they could literally have anyone in the world direct this movie um, or write this movie or anything. It's the biggest franchise of all time, basically. So to have this, you know, to have this kind of fall apart at the seams like this is uh, like irredeemable for me. Definitely. And um, I think you said it well, Scott, though, just like what J.J. What Abrams had to work with from the beginning, having something like Palpatine as kind of like just a, the last trick up your sleeve, I think yeah. works effectively because it does tie this like as much as I like to joke about it. I think actually the first time I heard anyone ever say that Star Wars is the story of Chief Palpatine was when Joey told me that when we watched episode one. And I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny because it's not true. Like it's actually uh <laughs> And, but but now it is undeniably true, um, which so is, accidentally wrote a story about the villain where he's the most important character. Yeah, exactly. But they, every step they tried not to do that. And yes. They just kept doing it. So I have to commend them for that um, to at least have brought it to some sort of like understandable and satisfying ending. Uh, something where there is in a 
series that now has um, lost a lot of its continuity, there is this overarching continuity that at least ties it together um, yeah. from a macro perspective. And because perspective. they keep bringing back every from, everyone from the old trilogy, you know, every, uh, Han Solo, Leia, and Luke are all in this movie, as they were in the last ones, too. They, uh, um, you know, having them, be- like play such integral roles it actually makes sense to have the emperor back as the big bad again so but it does when here's the huge caveat or the, the asterisk that comes to that is it because palpatine survived darth vader is now like drastically less important uh his what his redemption uh what he ended up doing in the original trilogy now uh kind of takes a step backwards because palpatine didn't actually die uh, so it, Darth Vader's sacrifice and redemption is it, more of like going through the motions than having an actual impact uh, in they the long did term. Stop the em- they did stop the Empire, though. The Empire was destroyed. The, the First Order is what replaced it. And then, you know, a new Empire, the Final Order. But I'm, like in the, I'm, I'm in the understanding that Palpatine has been behind the scenes pulling these strings all the way, though. So. Yeah, yeah, but he, I don't think he intended to be thrown down a, 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 a shaft by his so, um, yeah definitely inconvenient his, uh, as kylo project. ren can tell you being thrown down an electric like shaft and not dying very inconvenient but like both <laughs> of them can tell you it's not stopping them from achieving their final no goals. i think because uh, what anakin and therefore darth vader was supposed to do was bring balance to the force that was the like prophecy from the right. original trilogy over the prequels rather yes and right. it is too easy as viewers who like the good guy to see balance as not the bad guy mm-hmm. like if the good guys win, then you've brought balance to the force. But I heard someone the other day make an argument that just practically that clearly isn't true. That wasn't what was meant to happen. If you're bringing balance to the force, you're not getting rid of one side of the scale. You have to even the scale. And so what Darth Vader does do is he removes Palpatine as someone who is, at least in that moment, in a position to destroy the light side of the force. Sure. Because it was only Luke left on, you know, in Empire Strikes or uh, uh, Rise of, uh, what's that movie called? Episode <laughs> wait, six. Like, are you, hold on. Yeah, episode yeah. six. Yeah, that's how I go. Uh, I just go back. To um, Return of the Jedi. Return right? of the Jedi. Yes. Uh, Rise of the Return Jedi. Uh, <laughs> we had we had three characters: two Sith lords, Darth Vader, and the Emperor, and then Luke, who was well outclassed and was not in a position to be successful. We saw the Emperor removed from the equation and Darth Vader died, but the Emperor wasn't dead because we were achieving some level of balance in the Force, which is what Anakin said. Was, everyone knew Anakin was going to do that. So if I was going to retcon, I would say it, was, it should have been obvious to everyone that the Emperor wasn't dead because then Anakin would not have brought balance. He would have brought some level of, like, of imbalance. He would have right, elevated right. the Jedi. Yeah, except that the prequels were written after the original trilogy. <laughs> but what you're saying is like, yeah, so the balance is suddenly, like by removing himself from the scale, Darth Vader has brought balance because now it's just Luke and Palpatine. Is yeah, that like and, kind and of... also he took yeah. Palpatine out of the equation for presumably for long enough, though apparently only a couple of years before he became Snoke or whatever. <laughs> sure. But took him out of the equation and allowed Luke to grow up a bit. And then Luke starts to train Jedi. And once Luke starts to train uh, Jedi, he also trains Sith on accident. The Force is out of balance. And now, yeah. 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 Always, I don't know that that will sure, hold up to people who know Star Wars canon better than I do, but that is where my head goes when sure. we talk about that. Well, if, yeah. They give us evidence to, to lean that way anyways. That's all we can go off of. 
Um, I like well, that. I think that's well thought. Bringing out. up Snoke as well, dude. I mean, the <laughs> the new trilogy, the Disney trilogy, just absolutely embarrasses this guy. Like he came in <laughs> originally when I first laid eyes on Snoke, he was a gigantic holographic uh, like message. He was doing like talking through the hologram basically, and immediately I was like, no, why would Disney Star Wars think it's a good idea that our new Sith villain is a literal giant? I was like, what a terrible choice. And then I found out that he's not a giant and i was like okay crisis averted and then i couldn't i honestly think that maybe him being a giant would have been better than what we actually got which is he ends up being like a test tube baby who uh, is just a puppet and could be thrown away and replaced in an instant by palpatine who's been apparently growing these guys in his lab so it was yes much much worse <laughs> than i ever could have thought um and what's so funny about this is um jenny nicholson read this like star wars uh fan fiction kind of thing that somebody wrote that was supposed to be like what they imagined episode nine would be this is before the movie came out and one of the key elements of that of that treatment of like this basic outline for a script was snoke clones that oh they just kept gosh. showing up like it was the um like it was uh, the Matrix Revolutions. Like they kept, they just kept showing up and uh, like like little uh, Agent Smiths and fighting Re um, Luke Skywalker uh, with a lightsaber. It was um, pretty hysterical. And then when I saw them in the tank, I was like, yes, <laughs> Snoke clones for the win. Yeah, well, um, Jenny Nicholson, a really respected YouTube movie uh, reviewer, commentator, especially Star Wars. Yes, yeah. especially Star Wars. Um, yeah, she she um, also she brought up that Palpatine says like I made Snoke, which you could interpret. She says you could interpret that as like Palpatine was his master. He trained him, or at the very least, like gave him the opportunities necessary to rise to the rank of supreme leader within the First Order. But he's like, no, 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 no that's not what I mean. I literally made him. <laughs> like I put him together in a lab and made him into like a being, uh, which is so like so literal. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I it explains why his face is so screwed up. Though. Well, I think we all had a good laugh at Snoke's expense after the eighth movie, and knew he was unimportant. But just seeing two shriveled up versions of him in a test tube in this movie definitely put the punctuation mark on uh, on Snoke's <laughs> career, and uh, and that's how we'll remember him. Did you? Um, <laughs> I um, I don't think they really clarified. Did you get the impression that? Uh, the emperor was using the force through snoke or should we take it for granted that there's like canon now that you can clone force users this is a good question it's, it's it goes on to like what how much has palpatine been pulling the strings because he says the voice thing where he says i've been all the voices in your head which admittedly was a cool thing to show like it he you actually heard snoke's voice and then darth vader's voice um, but yeah, yeah, it leaves us to question how much of it was literal Palpatine, um, or if you can just create Sith in a lab. Because the movies might be done, well, but like there are now two Snoke clones that we saw that if they managed to survive were like at the time before the Emperor came back and before he died. Clearly the most strong power force users in the galaxy. And they're just <laughs> sitting in a tank and someone's going to wake those up and now we have another trilogy. Yeah. So, and then he gets his redemption arc. Ah. The, the, Snoke, the Snoke twins. Snoke and his like apprentice Jar Jar Binks, like the hated <laughs> characters get their trilogy. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, well, isn't there, isn't uh, in the, what's it? The Force Unleashed video game, isn't the main character a clone in that? Oh, the ball, like guy with the buzz cut or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I he's think supposed so. to be Darth so, Vader's secret apprentice, right? Right, right. Uh, I don't know. 
Something like that. But I, okay. But getting back to this movie, um, I think you you did just make a very compelling case for the importance of Darth Vader because he is supposed to bring balance to the Force. So even though um, it, it it does definitely look like he kills Palpatine, it um, maybe they can hold on to the idea that he accomplished at least his goal, and that's good enough for me because I love Darth Vader, and it did kind of um, hurt me that he, like what he did what kind of lost a little yeah, bit yeah. of its importance. Um. Okay, are we ready to talk about Easter eggs? Yes, let's move on. Okay, I'm going to start with uh, talking about one. This was super obvious, and it, if you didn't understand what was going on, then it would be weird. But the part where all the Jedi voices from all the other movies come back and encourage Rey, I thought that was amazing setup and payoff because it's something she was like looking for at the beginning, impossible to miss, and then they bring it back at the end, and you hear like the amazing voices uh, from... All the different movies, like Liam Neeson, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, that is the type of fan service that I show up to so- for to Star Wars for, uh, and I thought they really delivered on that. So I, no, I, I thought that I was awesome that. because it's something that you would. It's not super blatant. It's not super like obvious that this is what's happening. Um, but you're, you're like it, it. It could just be voices, right? But for them to be significant voices adds that extra depth to it. So I think that's really well done. I like that part a lot. And there was a really interesting piece to that specifically because um, two of the voices that were included were not from the movies at all. They were from the cartoon series. What? Um, Ahsoka Tano's voice was in there. And then Kanan Jarrus. Ahsoka Tano is from the Clone Wars series and also Rebels very briefly. And then Kanan is a Jedi Master in Rebels. Um, And both of their voices were included and their original voice actors were included. I think there were three other Jedi from the Clone Wars, but... Their names are very Star Wars, so I don't remember them. Um, <laughs> Dang, that's even better than I thought. This is why we have Scott on episodes like this, so he can give us information <laughs> that. Because that's exactly who needs to be talking through this thing. Yeah, so yeah. you can. It's like a really easy way to connect the entire like universe. Because honestly, dude, Jedi's are some of the coolest like fictional characters around. Um, and that's been oh, that's always been my complaint about the original three. Because I grew up with the prequels, so uh, like seeing the originals and the prequels kind of happened at the same time for me. And my biggest criticism as a, like a eight year old was like, there should be more Jedi in the originals. Like they should have a lot more <laughs> lightsabers, and they don't. Uh, they're missing out big time. Um, which the prequels definitely does a good job having plenty of lightsabers <laughs> on screen at the same time. Um, but to be able to have a bunch of Jedi come back, even though this particular movie doesn't have a whole litany of Jedi, is really cool. Like it's that's great fan service. And like I think I it's it's and it's great fan service also because and correct me guys if I'm wrong, but I think Star Wars having these two cartoon series and a couple books and then obviously the movies and now a couple video games that are all considered part of the canon has this really huge um condensed timeline of characters who are relevant and who all existed at the same time and or but for whom the majority of your audience doesn't know anything about them so like ahsoka who's a character that's very well loved by anyone who watched the clone wars and she's an awesome character she's probably one of my favorite jedi of all time but she doesn't exist in the movies so you can't bring her in right she couldn't actually have been referenced she can't show up as a force ghost you had to do something to to like salute me as someone who's consumed all of the things you told me were relevant, right, right. but also not alienate the audience that doesn't know them. So the voice the voices is really cool because if you didn't know that Ahsoka was in there, you still would note the voices as being cool. Yes, but if you did know, then you get this reward for having sort of 
yes. teased that out and heard it and then also recognized that that character was important to an entirely different story that no a lot of people have never heard so it's kind of cool 100 percent. yeah i totally agree with that all right what else you got sky well, give us some more easter eggs you're on a roll <laughs> um so one of my favorite pieces here which um will need to be hashed out more and it might have even been accidental or some guy who's writing something in the the um because they release like animated books or not animated books but uh like a book that goes with every movie not a full book but just like the director's notes and stuff where they describe the characters oh and, wait wait um, so is this because i know that star wars has like kind of informational or like almost reference books that yeah. have like ships and, and different planets and gadgets and things yeah is it that or uh, is it more like a plot like novel that. version it's oh, okay. that and i'm there's a word for it and i'm blanking on it and i think other movies have it it's yes. not just this um episode one definitely had it but in <laughs> in and i looked this one up because i it popped up on my facebook feed but in the book for the rise of skywalker they refer to those um uh the sith troopers which are the ones that are around palpatine they refer to them as being parts of different troops that are named after old uh like old republic sith lords that don't exist in canon and one of them is a sith lord named darth revan who is my actual favorite character in all of star wars but he didn't exist in actual star wars canon and now he's officially been referenced so that's a pretty big deal that is awesome. cool yeah um the other one i saw uh we were talking about force heal and ray using force heal they actually um the concept of force heal had been introduced on wednesday before the movie was released in the most recent episode of the mandalorian oh wow that was the seventh episode of the eight episodes it's on disney plus but it's all considered canon and baby yoda who is now famous on the internet he <laughs> actually force heals um one of the characters and that was the first time in all of star wars like canonical star wars where a character did that so it actually happened he got uh, ray got scooped hey. by baby yoda but so <laughs> so if you were watching the we mandalorian so lucky <laughs> yeah no, i mean honestly if we were watching if you were also watching the mandalorian and you felt compelled to watch the episode that they released and they actually intentionally released it early because it was supposed to come out on the same day that the movie came out they released it on a wednesday instead of friday ah. if you felt compelled to watch that you would have maybe anticipated that ray was going to do something interesting um, but again, it doesn't take away from it if you didn't watch The Mandalorian because it's still, they, they take the time to explain it. Um, cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, there was, there's the fun one where Chewbacca gets a medal finally. Oh after, my God. Uh, <laughs> after the internet reviewed the original trilogy and oh realized that God. Chewbacca had been like, <laughs> was an equal partner but wasn't included in the medal service. Okay, hold on. That's another thing. What was that medal that Leia was holding? I feel like it's I should have known one. that. It's the same one. So it's that the, was the it's one the she... Battle of Yevon medal that Chewie eventually gets. I think it's Han's medal, actually. So that's why she's holding it because she's holding it on her deathbed. So obviously it's pretty important to her. Um, and I, I wasn't. Well, it's pretty sure important that. to you, the audience. Oh, it's, that's just more fan service. That's what like. Remember totally when we is. gave out medals? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but yeah, that's I, I, just because you brought up medals. I, I, I know. When I was looking the Chewbacca thing up, apparently, in some cartoon that I didn't watch because there's more than even the ones I've seen, um, Chewbacca does 
like they they retcon it earlier in the series where they're like, mm. didn't you get a metal Chewbacca? And he's like, I did get a metal or something like that. <laughs> but but I think we all agreed that he had been sort of publicly insulted by not getting a medal. And so then they gave him one in this movie. So they're trying to fix it again, fixing it for people who'd only seen the movie. Oh I my don't, gosh. I don't That's understand so why they did this. Why even address this? Honestly. You got you got a medal, right, Chewie? Even though no one saw it, you definitely got one, right? <laughs> on screen. Totally <laughs> worth having him go over that again. Um, and I only I have two more. One, um, there was somewhere I was reading online made the argument that the two Sith wayfinders, which is the things that were uh, Ray and Kylo used to find the Sith superplanet, right. um, uh, the fact that there were only two is a reference. It's pretty directly a reference to the fact that there were only two Sith who were alive when those were created because they were created by. Um, well, I presume they're created by Palpatine, but it's possible they're. That planets existed for a long time and they were just found or something. I mean, it seems like Palpatine has been one of the Sith for so long. Like, they have this whole kind of, like, lineage where the Master takes on an apprentice and trains him until the apprentice becomes powerful enough to betray the Master, kill him and take his place, bring on a new apprentice to repeat the cycle. But it seems to me, like, since Palpatine entered the the, the situation, it's been him taking on apprentices and them dying yeah. uh, while he retains that role as master. Yeah. He certainly uh, has the technical know-how. He built all those star, those star destroyers. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. With his own hands. <laughs> I feel um. like, yeah. Um, now is... I wanted to say this really quickly, because now we've already complained enough about some of the inconsistencies and stuff, but, like, just building up from the way that the Death Star, like, the way that technology has progressed through Star Wars, like, it makes the Death Star seem way less important now. Like, back then it was like, they have this thing that can destroy planets. Like, that is the worst thing that could happen. Now it's like, ah, well, we have a whole billion ships that individually can each destroy, a sh like, a planet instantly. So it's like, that Death Star was nothing. This is what really matters. Like, you, the Death Star was just, like, waiting for this to eventually happen, which is the real <laughs> existential threat to the galaxy. But anyways, I'm sorry. I just had CGP to say that. Ray <laughs> pointed this out on, his, uh, on their episode of uh, Hello Internet about this movie. He said, you son of a bitch, J.J. Uh, um, Abrams, you did it. You built a bigger Death Star. Nobody thought you could, but somehow you did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and the last one I had... And this one I actually thought was really interesting. So um, evil Ray during her force battle with herself when she's like looking at her Sith self, that she has that cool lightsaber. That's a double bladed lightsaber that is folded up into one blade and then can open up into two. That is not the first time we've seen a lightsaber like that. In, the, in Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon series I talked about, you see that as the lightsaber that some of the Jedi Temple guards have. So it's a lightsaber that existed. Now, the Jedi Temple Guards have lightsabers that are yellow or they're golden. That's the blade color, which is the first time we'd seen that besides, yeah, uh, in video games it shows up, but in the movies and TV shows, that's the only time is the Jedi, Tem Jedi Temple Guards. Um, and then, so, so Rey fights herself. Rey's lightsaber, evil Rey's lightsaber is red, but it is the same make as the Jedi Temple Guard. Then when Rey goes to Tatooine to bury... Luke and Leia's lightsabers, she reveals that she'd made herself a lightsaber. It's not double-bladed, but it is golden, which is the first time in Star Wars movies we've had a golden lightsaber, and it also is now showing that there was a point where evil Rey was going to wield the lightsaber of a Jedi Temple Guardian, and now good Rey, who has completed her arc, is wielding a 
lightsaber that is the same color as the Jedi Temple Guardian, and she's standing over the last two other lightsabers that we know about. So there's some reason to pull from that, that Rey has assumed this role of being a guardian of the Jedi, as opposed to where Luke ended the last movie as a hero of the Jedi, but a Jedi himself. Rey, the guardian of the Jedi Temple, sort of had... Uh, uh, it's like a it's kind of like the king's guard in game of thrones they'd like chosen to remove themselves from the equation mm-hmm. and just serve to guard the jedi secrets right and ray by assuming by picking up this yellow lightsaber she's like assuming that role as far as i can tell wow no that's great especially because if we go back off of the like the balance of the force thing if palpatine is gone but leaves ray this powerful force user still around the sith will rise again it's just going to happen but if she's now just respect like basically protecting the jedi from ever like coming back she's also simultaneously preventing the sith also it brings reason to that last scene because uh, i like some other people just saw this as like ah the that will definitely sell some toys because kids will be like, no, I want Ray's yellow lightsaber. Like, I already have the blue and green one. Like, I, I have to get the yellow one. Uh, so I, I I like that explanation a lot, actually. Yeah, I think that it's really meant cool. to be its statement. I mean, it might not be at all, but that's what I saw in it was that she was saying, I am, I am not finishing this movie with the intention of building the Jedi up again. Mm-hmm. I'm finishing this movie with the simple intention of protecting the force or protecting the jedi yeah but interesting it just sort of in herself i like that a lot although um on that final shot of the twin sons on uh tatooine i almost wanted bb8 to like roll in between them and form like the mickey mouse outline (laughs) (laughs) this is really disney like this is what really star wars is about yeah (laughs) Um, that's funny oh my gosh Uh, i I actually thought of one that i forgot to write down okay so um quentin quentin reviews talked about this movie and one of the things he brings up is how um uh the it's implied in the first in the original not the original trilogy in the prequel trilogy that Sheev palpatine is anakin's like force dad like he he created life on, on Tat- tatooine and anakin is the result of that if that is true then Sheev is both dad to anakin and then grandfather to um whose grandfather to kylo and grandfather to ray so that means their kiss at the end is incestuous <laughs> therefore we're completing another like cycle in the star wars canon which is incest <laughs> or a kissing between um like people who are related so Yes, and if Star Wars has been about anything, it's been about normalizing incest, and we got that here as well. So true Star Wars fans have nothing to complain about from that perspective. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Let no one say there hasn't been enough incest in Star Wars. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so we'll move on to our quotable moments, which on Affable Chat, we generally play the audio from the movie itself, but since this movie is still in theaters we're just going to talk about quotes here um and the most important quote in the whole movie for me something that gave like if we if we uh, graded movies on like a letter grade scale for me grading this movie this would have bumped it up an entire letter grade um, but it was the inclusion of Pal- one of palpatine's uh catchphrases which is when he said do it uh, which is so important to me as a person who has joked and memed about the prequels for years um, having Palpatine just say 
like do it uh, is hilarious. <laughs> I busted out laughing in the when in the, in the movie. When it was he said amazing. This. It was a surreal experience. It was very <laughs> surreal because I don't know how isolated J.J. Abrams is from like the meme culture surrounding Star Wars uh, or just prequel memes in general. There's no way he doesn't know. But there's yeah, no it, way. It had to be kind of a conscious decision to have him do it. It wasn't like out of the ordinary. He was trying to compel uh, Ray to you know strike him down, which uh, you know all of that is consistent with what he was going for in this movie, but. The fact that they got him to say it made me really happy. Um, and definitely my favorite quote of the whole film. <laughs> so, okay, we'll move forward. Um, the other thing I, I, I just wanted to bring up with you guys was the I have a feeling uh, motif uh, in this film. And Star Wars is very famous for this. I have a bad feeling about this quote. I don't remember this one being in any other movies. This one was kind of like contained to the ninth one. And it was this opportunity to show that many people were force sensitive and that by following this feeling they had with the force they could uh, do something that's in their best interest and but i also heard people criticizing this as like basically like ex machina they're just saying like okay now the character magically knows what to do because um so i wanted I to get you guys' take on it i disagree with that because i think the main character who who says this is finn mm -hmm. and it is heavily implied that he is force sensitive although that never pays off in any meaningful way um, right it was supposed to be at least i saw it as kind of like a um they're trying to trick you into maybe saying like finn is in love with ray and that's what he wants to confess but really what he wants to confess is that he's force sensitive okay that this is a big point of contention already because jj abrams said in an interview that the thing that finn wanted to say to Ray was that he was force sensitive, but the way that it's framed, it's obvious that he wants to say that he's in love with her. Like that's like when you're about to die, right? You're not like, oh, I have one thing to tell you, I'm force sensitive. Like, yeah, here's what? this detail that'd be only be relevant if we continue to live. <laughs> exactly. Serves no purpose right now. You know, and then he's embarrassed to talk about it in front of Poe. Like, why wouldn't? Why would you be embarrassed about that? I guess. Like whatever it's not it doesn't really make any yeah. sense with and i think for whatever reason jj abrams is saying that just to make himself look better but it's um i like the idea of finn being force sensitive i like the idea that the force moves through people that we didn't expect them expected to move through and for that to for that to culminate in like feelings or like i have a bad feeling about this is like how the force works through everyone i really like that um and it's that's why again the whole everyone's related thing frustrates me too yeah um right so if without bloodlines if ray really was her parents really were nobody this would go really well with that because it's saying like did you realize that there's actually people who have been force sensitive all over the place and it mm -hmm. just comes to them as more of a feeling you know they just don't have the training or know how but yeah i don't want to undercut what scott said i think he made a really good point about how important it was that ray's parentage like, had some sort of like meaning to it so true true um but again it just seems like these feel these things come together and it's like who which one of these was planned first did you really like i don't know it's just i i this was a quote that kept coming back so i wanted to bring it up all right next one uh this is for scott i think well so i'm gonna throw one in that i had i just remembered yeah talking through the i have a feeling stuff is um there's the recurring quote from c3po in the other movies where he says uh where he's like going to throw out the odds to somebody and then someone says never tell me the odds but there's a quote where um maybe it was ray maybe it was poe but when they're about to erase c3po's memory their c3po's like well maybe we can find some other way and then someone's like you know the odds better than anybody 
Mm. And they say that to C-3PO, and then C-3PO decides to have his memory erased, and presumably permanently, right. though not mm. legitimately permanently. Um, and that was interesting because it's it's obviously a callback to that line of like, never tell me the odds. Like C-3PO okay. is o- always talking about what the odds that something's going to be successful are, except in this moment when he's sort of in an existential crisis of himself <laughs> and then they're like the you line. know the odds c3po tell us what to do and he's like okay i'll do it but i thought that was interesting because uh-huh. that was clearly meant to be a, a reference to that right right um i didn't catch that yeah that's awesome uh i have one down here that we've already talked about where uh palpatine says to kylo at last my boy i've been every voice as palpatine he says i've been every voice then with snoke's voice he says you have ever heard and then with vader's voice he says inside your head which was uh, sort of a powerful declaration of the emperor as the most important character of star wars um and then but i think we've really talked through that one so i feel sure. like we've already covered that one uh the other one i have written down is when palpatine says to kylo in the similar in that same sequence he says um the dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural <laughs> which is a quote from um Oh, the third episode three, right? Episode three, movie. yeah. That's yeah. is that's when he's talking about Darth Plagueis, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> that famous, and, yeah, that famous monologue. And presumably, what he's saying in that in the third movies, he's talking about uh, Darth Plagueis, or maybe himself creating life with the Force, which we all took to mean Anakin was created by them, which is where that incest thing came from. Sure. Um, in this case, he's talking about keeping himself alive. I believe yeah. he's also talking about creating Snoke and all sorts of stuff, but it's all still a reference to this idea of kind of creating life unnaturally through the force. Yeah. And, um, it kind of, that was another thing that I thought they could have used is like maybe force healing, super useful talent, but also maybe like a path to the dark side, you know, like, like Palpatine is like abusing that to keep himself alive. And maybe that could have been another way that Ray is like, I can heal my friends, but then it becomes like too much uh, taking it and like, you could do a lot with that, but um, I thought that was uh, an interesting link between her and Palpatine. Was like they both had this kind of life-giving power. Mm, um, that is interesting. But he definitely yeah, didn't have that power because he brings that up once he meets the two of them. He's like, "Oh, wait a minute! This rare power you guys have. Let me go ahead and heal my like weird fingers." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So I think that's going to do it for our quote. So let's move on. Um, so, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. All right. And I think we'll... Let Scott start. Yeah, we'll get started with Scott. Um, we have... We sort of talked through this a lot, but... Um, and I, I described why I feel this way, but one of the most important things I think about this movie was that they tried to take a character like ray and and show us the process of falling to the dark side um the piece that i find most sort of frustrating about that sequence is the fact that we can have a long conversation about whether or not ray was compellingly driven to the dark side and and say well maybe they just you know flinched out of the hard-hitting moments that would have given us some some stakes for that because they didn't want to kill important characters and stuff um I think that ties itself to the fact that sort of the the Disney model of movies where they can be good adult movies, but they're meant to be for kids, so we are unwilling to take risks, um, is really what I think caused this trilogy to struggle. Um, 
it's unfortunate because the trilogy would never have been made had someone like a company like Disney not picked it up. But because Disney picked it up, Disney is unwilling to do, I think, what would have been necessary to, um, you know, kill some important characters besides yeah. Han. Now, they killed Han and we thought, OK, maybe there's a chance. But um, they, they killed Luke and they killed Luke. Well, Luke. Yeah. Luke expired. died. Luke expired. <laughs> and now Leia died as well. So um, it's, po- you know, they, they did let important main characters die, but they didn't give any of those important main characters a, um, I guess Han does, but I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is that Disney seems to, because of the machine that Disney is, they flinched out of moments that could have made this trilogy really, really powerful. And that oh, yeah. is sort of a, a sad truth that will be true, I guess, about Star Wars forever, but also a lot of series as Disney as the, the behemoth that is Disney continues to consume things. Um, in, in other series and stuff we have to try to figure out what disney wants to be because if they want to be a producer of good movies and be able to win awards for things and if, if that's what they're you know if their goal is to make movies for kids then we will never have to worry about characters that we love becoming evil or being irredeemable but if their goal is to make good movies i hope that they're willing at some point to start to allow their brand to, yeah to, to uh, you know differ from what they've created so far yeah, or, okay. I th- go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I I think that was why bringing Ryan Johnson on and letting him direct his own Star Wars movie was was like a good idea on paper um, for that exact reason. And to counter your star your Disney argument, I think the Marvel movies have done an excellent job at raising stakes and then killing characters off when it was necessary to kill them because um, they needed to trim the fat, you know, and keep things keep things moving. And I think that's an excellent example of a franchise that came to a, a a really powerful conclusion. Um, one other thing uh, that w- really struck me about this, what, what you just said, is I was watching something on Disney Plus. It was the like Imagineering document docu series or something. It was about how they were building Disneyland and Disney World. And one of the things that they talk about a lot, at least in that first episode, is how Walt Disney took a ton of risk in building um, Disney Disneyland. Like he went into he like sold off one of his houses. They went they went. They tripled the original budget. Um, like they had so, they took all of these risks. They're like, we're putting everything on this. Everything about this has to work. And when it first opened, it was a disaster. Like so many people showed up that everything kind of like broke down. They had to like scramble to get everything together. But what really was interesting is listening to all these interviews about people saying like, Walt Disney was a risk taker. He he when he saw something, he had a vision for something. He went after it no matter what. And I felt like that was such a contrast to what Disney is now. Like you always think of them as the safe choice, and it's just I mean it's just sad. Really. Wow, it sounds a lot like the way Apple works. Like people are like Steve Jobs, what an innovator. You know he was oh he couldn't be satisfied with whatever like the marketing department mm-hmm. was going for. He wanted to make the next best like uh, thing for the consumer. And then now it's all about just kind of like rehashing the same thing, not like disturbing the following you've created all these people who are already on the apple ecosystem it's like we'll just sell them the same thing every two years and keep them like hooked on what we already have uh, yeah. kind of a similar parallel it's it's an interesting narrative about because if 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 the company that is disney was just a guy in las vegas we would all agree that now that he's won a bunch he should stop gambling and disney <laughs> has made the decision to stop now you make a good point joey with the marvel movies they are being ambitious with those and i think it's because they trusted good people to be at the helm of those movies but yeah um, you get the sense that maybe disney decided they should take their chips off the table because gambling is reckless uh, same with apple right. but um what we want from them is to keep taking risks 
Well, yeah, it's it's either Disney is going to have to become more ambitious with Star Wars moving forward, or we're just going to have to temper expectations and get used to the reality that Disney Star Wars is not the same as the originals, which are not the same as the prequels. Um, right. So you just have to, now that we have all three movies, uh, it's very easy to, or at least you can start to come to terms with what they are. That was always the thing for me was I didn't like episode eight, but I was like, oh, man, they better be setting up for something amazing in episode nine. Like this all better come and make sense. Um, you know, it wasn't what I expected episode nine to be. Um, like there's a bunch of stuff that just didn't make sense for episode eight. But now we do have episode nine so we can make those decisions and come to those yes. conclusions. Well, do you think that this movie, well, this is movie temper the way you see the other movies, I guess. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, like, do you do you think of them better or worse when how do you see the whole thing at once? Well, it's definitely going to. Um, it doesn't make me want to go back and rewatch the other ones. Like, if anything, this has just kind of turned me off to the idea of Star Wars um, more than probably ever before. Like, the eighth one is definitely the worst, but this doesn't make me want to go back and get more invested in Star Wars. Like we mm -hmm. talked about, things like maybe Darth Vader is not as important as I thought him, he was before. Maybe Palpatine's even more important in the prequels than he was before. But I'm fully letting this influence my opinion on the other ones because it is all canon. It's only fair that the movies that are included in Star Wars uh, influence each other and affect each other. What about you, Scott? Um... It's t I think it's tough. I think it's difficult because I am a big fan of Star Wars, but I this trilogy was the first was going to be sort of my hope that they could take some of the really awesome momentum they picked up from some of the cartoon series with interesting characters and good drama and, and meaningful changes to, you know, the way the force works and stuff. I was hoping they could do that in this trilogy, and I don't really feel they did. I know I sort of made that argument earlier that they had in this movie, but that's sort that's relative to everything else that's ever been done for Star Wars movies themselves. So yeah. I'm not excited about the movies that are out and already exist now, in part because I feel like I know them. The one that I've seen the least is The Last Jedi, and I really, when The Last Jedi came out, I didn't dislike it. What I dislike about it now is that it doesn't fit the series, and because of that, I'm not compelled to go watch it again because what i know is that everything that happened in that movie is mostly irrelevant <laughs> or has been rewritten right so um right i, I don't know man I, I i really like star wars so i will watch them again but i'm not excited about it i sort of feel like this is the equivalent of that eighth season of game of thrones where i was a huge game of thrones fan and up until the eighth season came out i i rewatched it multiple times i was talking to people about it all the time and then when the final episode came out i just sort of agreed to put that in a box and never really work on it again um, <laughs> that's still, a great that's a great one to bring up right now i feel the exact yes. same way because before like just with just like with game of thrones people that you met had, that had never seen it they're like i don't get what all the hype is about you know i'm like just check it out you'll see you know you just need to look at it now i'm like eh I get if you want to, definitely check out Star Wars, but I'm not going to be militant about it. I'm not going to come after you and be like, I can't believe you still haven't seen it. You're not a real sci-fi fan if you haven't. Like, it's... Yeah. It has diminished, like, Star Wars' reputation in, in my mind. And I don't think... I mean, part of it, I think, is because the series is done. We're told it's done. So there's no... I don't because the reason I would invite people to watch Game of Thrones when it was still being produced was that I wanted other people to experience the same sort of anticipation and joy that i got out of watching that 
show. Yeah. And, and that's where like weekly release and stuff that was really helpful because I knew on Sunday I was going to be there watching it and it was and always so was, cool. a lot of other people. Yeah. Same is true of Star Wars going into this movie, even though I had sort of I felt like I'd been beaten up by the last two and the prequel trilogy. And so it's been a long time since we had a Star Wars movie that everyone universally thought was good. Um, but there was still something for me to kind of get excited about. Um, and because there isn't, now I'm forced to reflect on if I think the whole series is something to be excited about. And I suppose That's it a shame. is. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it is sort of unfortunate that um, with this trilogy, they couldn't create something that I want to share. Yeah. Um, and I feel like people are missing out on something if they don't watch it. Like my fiance has never seen Star Wars and um, I've asked her to watch it, but she's not interested. But this trilogy, if this trilogy had been great, I would have said, look, just trust me, it's going to be awesome. But I don't know that she'll like Star Wars. Right. And this movie didn't make that any more clear. So I'm not I'm not driven to like share it with her right away. Yeah. Know? But I think there's definitely a lot of value in being a part of it at, like while it's coming out as opposed to once it's completely done. Um, so it's, it's going to be harder to get people to get on board with something once it's completely done anyways. Um, so that's part of it. Cause going to see the new star Wars is still an event. Like it's still something I got with my friends to do, even though we did we all were kind of groaning at this, like the idea of seeing this last one after how much we didn't like the eighth one, it was still fun and an event to go do. I mean, it's the reason we're making this episode because when you brought it up, you're like, should we make an episode? We're like, we kind of should. Like if we're a movie podcast in early 2020, like if we're not talking about Star Wars, what are we doing? You know, mm -hmm. like we need to, uh, it is a cultural phenomenon. It's important. Yeah, it definitely is. So, that's how I feel about it. But now it. it's over, now we're done. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of which, do uh, do we want to be done uh, with this episode? Do we want to yeah, go ahead to our ratings? It's time for our ratings. All right. Um, let's go to Scott. Were you able to get yourself a rating? Let's hear it. What are you giving yeah, this movie? I'm giving this movie six uh, force levitated stones. <laughs> <laughs> which was Very actually nice. a pretty cool looking uh, like yeah, she was like inside of made? like the spinning stones. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, what about you, Joey? What do you give this movie? Okay. I give this movie a note that leads to a ship, that leads to a knife, that leads to a map, that leads to a planet that has a scary bad guy on it. Very nice. <laughs> I give this movie a place to be buried on Tatooine. Ooh, that's and a good one. And we'll see if we ever come back to revisit it. Oh, that thing's gonna get that's gonna get undug. You you just wait. Just wait thirty years. It'll be back. All right. Um so Joey, what's next on Apple Chat? Next, we're doing a movie called Frank. Yes, that was requested to us by a listener. Um, don't forget, if you want to comment on um, anything we've said or you have questions or want to request something, you can call our phone number, 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes uh, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram. We have the same handle on both, at AffableChat. Or if you're a little more old-fashioned, you can send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. And that's going to do it for our episode on Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. I want to thank you, Scott, for joining us. Thank you so much. This was an awesome time, guys. Thank you very much. And if we have another Star Wars movie, we will definitely uh, <laughs> call you up. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>